0: Thankful for everyone who could be here, both uh, physically and online, as we take this opportunity to worship the Lord. We something we certainly can treasure, and we want to realize this is this is not uh, a, not a light thing. To open God's holy word, to have communion with those of like precious faith, it's a privilege. And let's treasure that. Before we uh, begin, we want to get an opportunity if there's any greetings or any announcements for the church. My parents extended greetings to the church. And also I was speaking with Jose Cervantes um, from Mexico uh, yesterday and he extended greetings to the church. Church in San Jose uh, experienced a break-in. They were uh, robbed, and uh, the uh, cartel did the law enforcement, but that means they didn't get anything back. But the people who, who broke into the, t- to the church were punished and by, by the Mexican means of law. But they, they're still going to need some help uh, getting new doors and grates, mills uh, on the windows, and things like that. Any other greetings? as the, uh, the theme I believe uh, setting the captives free so and there'll be more details of uh, being sent out in the announcements our focus of the month is for the uh, Papua New Guinea and uh, we ask that you pray for the safety container that we shipped there um, should be arriving by end of March and pray that it we'll actually be able to pass customs They'll be able to take advantage of it. I believe that's the announcements we have here. Uh, there's a few other things you'll see in the announcements that new uh, books, booklets, viewpoints from the elders are available online, as well as a memory book from Strasbourg. Uh, that's big. also being sold as a fundraiser for twenty-five dollars. They can also order online through the announcements. And I guess this, this would be that we wanted to implement a new um, intercessory prayer initiative where we want to make sure everyone is being prayed for, and we ask that you contact Sister Vicki and be willing to, to pray for someone else. So it will be confidential. So um, feel free to contact her for, for details. Let's bow and turn to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, we do turn to you in weakness, but rejoicing that though we are weak, you are strong. Though this world appears to be in chaos, it is not outside of your omnipotent control. And Father, we're so thankful that we can come to you the source of truth in this time of lies and misinformation. And we pray that your, the truth of your word could penetrate the fog and confusion surrounding us and inside of us in our very hearts. And Lord, would help us to be grounded and to be anchored and to have direction and clarity. We pray for your spirit to be free to work in us, through us. Pray for those who are dealing with very difficult things, lost loved ones who are Deal with illness and were isolated and alone. We pray that you would indeed comfort them and encourage them, and that we, as your hands and feet, would be willing to minister to their needs. Father, we pray for your name to be glorified and for you to have free reign. that where the Lord exposed the, the excuse of um, it's not the time and uh, excuses that we can make. It's very interesting to me because the Lord laid on me a, uh, a related thought I found in the book of Esther, um, Esther chapter four, again about time. So um, just quickly summarizing before we were look up to where we are. Uh, the Jews have been taken into captivity and there's one uh, Jewess Esther, a beautiful young lady who has been chosen to be the queen. And uh, she has an uncle, uh, Mordecai, and she was an orphan and he was the one who was taking care of her. And there's a man who uh, Who has a vendetta against the Jews, uh, and he has decided to instigate a a genocide. He got to deceive the king and was able to proclaim a decree that would wipe out all of the Jews on a a single day throughout the entire empire. And the news of this had just come out, and this is uh, where we begin the story in the beginning of chapter 4 of Esther. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes, and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry. And came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And every province whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was a great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her, and then was the king exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai to take away the sackcloth from him, but he received it not. Then called Esther for Hatak, one of the king's chamberlains who he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So Hatak went forth to Mordecai into the street of the city which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him, and of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Also he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to destroy, to show it unto Esther, and declare unto her, and to charge her that she should go in unto the king, to make supplication unto him, and to make request before him for her people. And Hathak came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. And Esther spake unto Hathak and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live but I have not been called to come in unto the king these thirty days. And they told Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, Then shall there enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go, gather all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day, I also and my maidens will fast likewise and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. And it's an amazing story, uh, how it proceeds and how God turns the very plans uh, the evil one on its head. How Haman was so frustrated he was going to wait for the sticky decree. He builds a, a gallows to, to um, execute uh, Mordecai, and as he's waiting in the antechamber to to persuade the king to kill Mordecai, uh, the king couldn't sleep that night and was uh, having the records read to him. Apparently that was something that put him to sleep and found that Mordecai had actually uncovered a plot to assassinate him and wondered has he been rewarded and was told no and so he said well you know who can uh, who's out there that can, and Haman is oh well bring him in hes give me some advice and asked him what what should be done to someone who the king would honor and it's just so um, so ironic and you know that Haman is thinking, oh, he's who? He want to honor more than me? I'm his right hand man. He and he says, put him on the royal horse with royal clothes and have the best and noblest person carry him to the city and say, this is what the king does to whom he honor, thinking that would be done to him. And then the king turns and says, no, you go and do that. And that was, you know, the, that was definitely salt in the wound for him to do that. And beyond that, Esther. Um, persuade, does come. She does come to the king. She does make her. She petitioned over a period of three days and two banquets and um, Haman is exposed and he ends up hanging on that very gallows that uh, he had built for Mordecai. And uh, the king, the the Jews are delivered. But this is is kind of the pivotal point. It's beautiful, ironic and uh, poetic justice and all that but what does that have to do with our time um there's the word time again Uh, this morning eric uh, encouraged us that we do not make excuses because it's not convenient at this time uh, for us to gather for us to um, be busy in god's kingdom and uh, that we can to be busy building the temple, which in this case is the body of Christ, because so we're all lively stones. Here is a different uh, idea that Esther is being challenged by Mordecai, saying, "You know, you, you think you might escape? Here she, the rest of the Jews might be killed, and you might think that while well, I'm in the king's palace, this." horrible thing that happens will at least escape, will pass me by, and says don't think that, uh, you know, that's a safe place. God is going to be able to deliver. God's sovereign. He will deliver us from somehow to keep his word and his commitment to the Jewish people. Uh, But you, you know, you will not. And he says uh, who knows whether you are come to the kingdom for such a time as this and you know in years past this may have seemed very remote but the times are changing uh, we have for example in this country a pastor who's in prison for keeping his church doors open uh, We have laws that are being passed that make it a criminal offense to give biblical advice to minors. And we've seen that uh, the tide of culture is definitely turning against those who would be true to the word of God. And so now this is no longer a theoretical something that we can read about in the past, that we can hear our forefathers, those who went before us, the things that they faced. This is now something that we, and especially you as young people, are going to have to face for yourself. And you might think that, well, you know, can't I uh, be wise as servants but harmless as, as doves? I've heard that, um, Scripture being used to justify a diplomatic and maybe evasive uh, stance. And yes, the, the Scripture does say that if you're persecuted in one city, to flee to the next. But it doesn't say not to say truth, that even if it's not, if, it, if it's considered offensive. And we can think about uh, the example of John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist. Why was he beheaded? Why was he? Uh, in that prison cell uh, of Herod's, is because he dared tell the most powerful man in the region the truth that he was his marriage was immoral, and that's why he was uh, in prison. Why was John the Revelator on the Isle of Patmos? It was because he dared to tell the emperor the truth that he shouldn't be giving credit to idols for his military victors because. We're not the ones who were in control, God was. So, in Scripture, we certainly see an example and Jesus was not one who, who didn't, uh, who was careful to not to offend with his words. He told people the truth, even if it was something that they didn't want to hear. And I think we're called to be a light. such a time as this no matter what the consequences are that we need to have the courage to tell the truth to proclaim God's word even if uh, we know it will not be well received and in fact it's not just a matter of being looked at funny there may even be consequences for our lives for our comfort. We should not think that if we hold our peace, I'm reading out from verse 14, if we hold our peace at this time, that we are going to have this comfortable existence. God would have held Esther to account for holding her peace. And he'll hold us to account because this is the cusp in, in, in such a short amount of time in the past few years and I don't think I'm just getting old I think it's true that things are accelerating, things are changing faster than they ever had in this anti-biblical direction and so people may still remember the time of the truth. they still may remember that there was a time before COVID, there was a time where we believed that marriage was between There was a time when we believed that uh, marriage was a a sacred thing, not not to be easily discarded um, with with our passing feelings. There was a time where there was biblical standards that were understood. Some of those things, you know, are are, are fading in people's minds. But if we do not at this time speak up for the truth... um, There may come a time where people will no longer remember the truth, but it will be in their hearts, and at every time we need to speak the truth. But we have been brought into this place at such a time as this, we need to not hold our peace. Esther is giving us an example of how to respond. She's not uh, being brash and arrogant, as we see maybe some who named the name of Christ may come out with a spirit of anger, a spirit of judgment, a spirit of uh, holier-than-thou arrogance. And that certainly is not um, reflecting the character of God and being effective. We see with Esther, it wasn't that, well, I'm a beautiful woman, I'm the queen, I have every right to to walk in there and make my demands. Um, she went in there not trusting in her own credentials and her capability, she went in there, first she fasted for three days and she asked all the Jews to fast for three, day, for three days and nights and she went there relying, you know, as you fast you become weak and you become realized that a, you know, this, this thing of you being in control and you being strong is just an illusion stripped away and you start to realize how much you are dependent on God and that, that's what it you know as she went in she went in dependent on God and trusting in God that whatever happens happens if I perish I perish being that uh, unforgettable phrase that we remember from Esther a, a true statement of courage and your trust in God that no matter what happens if she ends up dying that she was okay with that. The important thing is that she was true to the principles of speaking up and pleading for her people and not hiding behind her privilege, not hiding behind the comfort that can easily, you know, is a temptation for us in this day. So as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, it would be um, helpful to to have a, an example of someone that we know or that we're familiar with, who has had to make those kinds of choices. And uh, the, the name that uh, came to mind, that I was thinking of uh, Brother Jaco Bucco, Chico Jarko as we used to, to call him. And I'm very thankful that uh, to, to find out as I was speaking with a family that uh, Brother Doug had uh, interviewed him and had, uh, has it actually on video for those who, who speak Serbian, you'd be able to watch it for yourselves. So that, that, that doesn't include me, but I was also very thankful to find out that uh, Sister Vespa Jerif had, had translated it. So um, the rest of us would also benefit. And you now many of the stories that I remember Chigir telling me um, and we had to call upon someone to, to help translate, now have been translated here for us. So I'm asking that you would indulge me as we would um, as we would kind of review some of the his life events and then see you know whether he was true to this principle of such time as this, of choosing, obedience to the name of Christ, of, of obedience. Come what may, no matter what the cost, the cost to be able to say, if I perish, I perish. So this was from an interview in uh, to December two thousand and seven at Brother Jarco's house. And um, you know, maybe some of the events have faded from his memory, but uh, I asked that he be, be indulgent. He was Chico Jarco was born on November 25th, 1928, in November twenty fifth, nineteen twenty eight in Yugoslavia, is a tiny town of about a 1,000 people. He was baptized at the age of 20 uh, in that church, which had 70 members with about 20 young people. 16 young women and less young men because there was a cost that the young men had to count before they um, joined the church. They we're going elaborate. But was, uh, parents were Tosha and Angelina. There were six children in the family, four brothers and two sisters, and Milan, who is currently in California, Eluica Bjarco, and Milena, who lived here in Toronto. Uh, Milan <coughs> in Mansfield, and Belco, who also lived here in Toronto, was the youngest. Once, uh, So first Bjarco's uh, father had gone through the same experience. Uh, he was... Uh, uh, in the army, and he recounts the story. Once the army commander came by and Tosha was standing in the front row, since he was tall, the commander noticed that he didn't have the ammunition belt. He asked, what's with this man? He answered, he's a Nazarene, he does bear arms. Then the commander called him forward, and he was still sitting on his horse Whipped with, with a whip around his neck, and all over, and he put the gun to his forehead saying, in the name of the law, take the gun. To which Tosher replied respectfully, sir, I cannot. He asked him once, twice, and in the war, uh, the rule was that if you didn't obey him the third time, you would be shot on the spot. The commander got so mad that his countenance changed, his face turned pale, he put his gun back and told him for five days you're getting 50 whips each day. And someone volunteered to do the whipping, I'm sure that. That hurt, too, the betrayal, and it was hard to endure that for five days, he couldn't sit or lay down. He'd been sentenced for 10 years and 11 months, um, but uh, then released earlier when the Germans um, came to Yugoslavia. Uh, Milan was his oldest child, and he was summoned to the Army first. He was sentenced for five years, and this kind of illustrates uh, their father, Tosha, was sick at that time. Uh, Milan was in the army when the Germans started retreating in World War II, and he was by the Austrian border. He got sick with typhus and sent to the hospital in and Benat. And when he recovered, he had to go back to serve the remaining time. And he served ten years total. Their parents took it very hard. And as sharko said, through tears, Mom could have bathed us in all the tears she shed. Their mom had a difficult time. None of her siblings converted, and she was the only one whose children were being in prison. Um, and it was difficult when, um, for example, it was time to harvest grain and barley, and uh, Toa was very sick and wanted to sharpen the wanted to sharpen the harvest when He cut himself. He was crying, wondering who's going to do the work. had lots of grain and barley to harvest. You know, the older ones were all uh, in prison. And, ones uh, that had to help do their best to gather in the harvest. Uh, Chikajarko was uh, drafted in 1949, just months after being baptized at the age of 20. The uh, first time he was summoned, he was in Ljubljana, which is in modern, Slovenia, and uh, then transferred to Zimu. They had very hard labor in construction. They would dig sand out of the ground and, and uh, transfer it. They, also, they were not fed very well. They were skinny. The place where they took meals was run by the army and so they would uh, complain that you didn't do enough work, uh, and you didn't fulfill your quota, and Chikar, they wouldn't give them food. felt It was very much like being in Egypt or the impossible quotas. Uh, but, uh, They couldn't do such hard work on empty stomachs, but they're told they would not get food, but they still had to do the work. Um, Then uh, they were transferred, uh, 150 serpents were transferred to Zimun, and there were two other believers in that group. You'll find Chikajarpo constantly keeping track of of where other believers were with him. When he got transferred to Zemun, I think this really illustrates to me just his heart about how precious Fellowship was to him uh, and other fellow believers. Uh, I remember Rafina was telling me yesterday he, whenever he named the name of Christ, you know, the, he just, the, the tone, the, the, the reverent, the softness of his tone changed. But you'll see how his love of not only God, but his love of brethren here. When he got transferred to when he saw some believers on the street, he was not tied down, they were being escorted in a road. The police were escorting them from the station in Zemun to Bežanija the campsite, and he saw a couple of believers standing on the corner and watching them, it was Steva and and another, and Steva was waiting to see if there were any of our believers in the group, and Steva and Jarko recognized each other, Jarko was only able to wave very discreetly so nobody would notice, and Steva made a slight motion with his head to greet Jarko, the church building was on that same street. He, in his account, he mentions all the ones he was in prison with by name and how the hardest thing was the visits with his, his parent, family to hear about all the church activities he was missing. He would watch, a, from a vantage point, he would watch the believers going to church from prison. And uh, that's how precious the fellowship was to him. In Zimmerman Prison, the work was also construction and calories were prized. The most prized item in the packages was, was actually bacon, because it had the shelf life and the calories, but even though it was so valuable, the believers always shared it with each other. He was there for seven months, and then was transferred to a, a time another the third prison he was at in that first term in 1951. He worked a lot, more than eight hours a day, but he was able to hide a Bible. Um, the 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 barracks were wooden barracks. It they, they just kind of really reminded me of um, the, the account of, of the hiding place, because you know the, in that story, uh, uh, the Betsy, the, the, the sister, insisted um, on thanking God for everything, and she thanked God for the bed bugs and in those horrible barracks, which were a torment to them, and and her. Corey was was writing the story saying "You know, how could you possibly thank God for something like bedbugs and uh, then they found out it was because of those bedbugs that the the Nazi uh, guards never came in and they had the freedom to worship, to study the Bible together. Well in this case, uh, Chikajarko was uh, assigned to take care of pigs and because the stench of the pigs was so strong, he wasn't checked on there either and he was able to hide his Bible in the uh, walls of the pig pen and had the freedom to to read it there. I remember him actually building a little model of how he had done that with a sliding wood and showing it to our children, Um, and that was obviously very precious to him. He certainly knew the Word of God very well. He also had time to pray, and he would have to do so by laying down and putting a blanket over him so nobody knew who was praying. He was not allowed to kneel down and pray. He'd be punished for that. Uh, this was considered a political crime. Since uh, it's considered spreading religious propaganda because the communists were atheists. And so by kneeling, you're proclaiming something different. Uh, Brother Doug at this point asked you know, how he felt when he prayed secretly. Did he, did he feel like Joseph in Egypt or Daniel in Babylon? And Shikishaka said it gave him strength. Uh, when he was in Yuviana prison, they put him in a cellar without light, and there was he was able to kneel down and pray to God, and he was there for six days. He never felt um, forsaken, never felt that God left him. He would even sing silently to himself to comfort himself. He would think about God's might and help, and he would shed tears. It makes me think, do, do I have enough songs memorized to be able to sing uh, to myself? And the word of God memorized, it, but did not have access to that. Then he was uh, transferred back to Uganda to get his release papers, and uh, two years were over. And uh, he, there, he um, he actually went to my father's house. There, my uh, father's uh, sisters were the only believers in that town, and he really, really was thrilled to finally be together with believers. He talks about that. Uh, uh, he was able to go home for 10 months, and then he got another summons from the army. Okay, and he wasn't surprised, but he felt that God was helping him through what he to anticipate. Uh, he was sentenced inside Saudi Arabia for another four and a half, So he served two years, and now he's got to serve another four and a half, um, and uh, But there he met other believers, and um, he was very thankful. He was transferred to Mitrovica, and there were other believers there too. And he was very thankful that he had worked on a farm there. Then he's released after four and a half years from his second term. Now his, you can see the torment of this choice. You know, you can, it's not like you served your prison term and you're done. You need to live your life. You've got this threat hanging over your head at any time. Can be re They would play games with the paperwork so you'd be re eligible because you never served your military term. Um, and he's 28 and a half now, and we're ready to start a family. And how can he start a family when he's in and out of prison every 10 months? So he does uh, get married to Soka, and he has two children George, who was born in 58, and another one, Slogan, in 1959. He wanted to, to try to find a way out. He uh, heard the, from someone that there was a guide in a certain area of the country. He took the night train there to New Jersey, and he was so tired he missed the station he had to jump from the moving train in order to get off. And, but the guide was too terrified to take him. He had apparently been beaten or something. And uh, he tried to get another time and he wasn't able to get anyone who would take him. He tried uh, working through uh, making an appeal to senior government official with uh, support of a high-placed uh, Nazarene sympathizer, and that was also denied. So he's summoned again a third time mm-hmm. after those two years. His father, that's Tosha says to him, through tears, you're leaving two children behind. I had six, or a bit older than yours. I made it through, so you through Christ who strengthens us. These verses that, you know, we may use as, you know, words of encouragement, current day, you can see the weight they have when you are, you are being faced with these things. And I'm thinking, you know, here, here's a choice. All right, this is, this is, if I perish, I perish. He has to now leave his children, not know if and when he's going to see them again, sadly. With one that he didn't see him. But yet, he, he chose to stay true to his convictions to the word of God, rather than take what might be comfortable, what other people did do, and other people who made those compromises. <clears throat> he was sentenced to five years in his third summons in 59, and he served in Goliotok in Croatia. It was the uh, Serbian equivalent of Alcatraz, a barren island. Uh, with quite a harsh uh, history. Um, and that second son, Slovanan, passed away when he was at Goliotok at 10 months old. It was very hard for James Jarvis. to cried. There was nothing he could have done. When he got to Goliatuk, there was a doctor there who wanted Jarvis to work for him. It was at this time his son passed away. Jarko asked to be released of his duties with the doctor, even though he would have been spared from hard work. He didn't want to be separated from his brother. He preferred, he preferred to be together with other brothers. The doctor released him. Jarko was glad to be with his brother Velko and others. It was easier for him to bear the loss of his son. There were around forty of them there together. And an interesting note: we know how God promises that if. For his name's sake, we lose house or family or uh, lands that he will give us more in this lifetime. And so it was that in this lifetime, Chukazharo uh, got another son named Slobodan through his son in law, Freeman's named Slobodan. And he treasured that. Initially, there was a lot of abuse in that, um, that the harsh imprisonment. The the, uh, brothers didn't feel that they should work on Sunday, uh, not out of some kind of a a legalistic sense of the Old Testament, but rather they thought it was a gift from God that they didn't feel should be taken away by man. And uh, uh, Brother Finn was telling me the stories yesterday how he was uh, put, Chickasar was put into this this prison, this uh, basement room with broken windows and cold, and they started. He and another young man, 17, uh, who was a friend, not yet baptized, and they just started flooding it with icy water to to drown him, and he wasn't afraid of death. He let the other young man have a piece of cardboard to stand at least, and he had a piece, but uh, they didn't follow through. Uh, But thankfully, as they were being lined up to be persecuted, there was Yuba Hujanas. He's the, the... Brother, who's still alive, his, his wife just passed away last week. Um, he was able, he would even though he could have escaped, he could have tried to. He still identified with this group that's being punished. Even though he was in a different room, and he was able to smuggle a letter out of prison through his his uh, boss. And um, there was an investigation, and, and conditions improved. You can read this in uh, "Stories of Faith and Courage," Volume Four, uh, the details of that. But so he was sentenced there for five years. He served to about four and a half of those and was early released. Um, and that was his last time in prison. He thanks God for enduring it. He was not beaten. He said there was not as hard we the our of talking. He loved the work there. And after being released, he and Belco's family were able to get across into Austria and eventually to California and Canada, where we were glad to have. Here's here's an example that is not, I hope, I hope we have not completely forgotten. That the, to name the name of Christ, those that live godly, will suffer persecution. That wasn't idle words to the Jewish generation. It was something they counted the cost. And they knew they would be in this position to say, if I perish, I perish. They knew they may have to, you know, even suffer death or be beaten in the or leave behind precious mothers and, and little children which seemed to him to be the greatest suffering but they were willing to do that without compromising what they believed, what they stood for, without bringing any to into the name of Christ. And I'm saying this is new relevance to us because it doesn't look like it would be too far before we will have to make choices. And already, already we have choices to be silent. The, the, the Black Lives Matter movement will say silence is violence, if you don't, you know, vocally stand up for what we believe that you know, you're, you're already guilty. But in some ways it's the name of it. Christ, to the cause of Christ, we also need to be careful that we are not doing the violence of being silenced. Because that is what we stand for. And so, like Esther was commanded, we need to be, um, not hold our peace at this time, because for such a time as this, we've been brought to be a witness to people who are being surrounded by lies, surrounded by confusion, where good is called evil, and evil is called good, and degrees I I never thought I would ever see. And so I want to encourage us to to be inspired, by examples of Esther, John the Baptist, John the Apostle, and even our beloved brother Zarko, and commit ourselves to be true, no matter what the cost, and to be willing to say, perish, I perish. Think not that you will be able to escape. Perhaps, my dear friend, you think that this is exactly why I don't want to commit myself to be a follower of Jesus. The cost is too high. I will have to lose the respect of friends. I will have to pay a price in this life of loss of freedom to do as I please. But I ask you to count more carefully. Esther was warned that if she looked at the surface and thought the palace walls, we're going to protect her from God's justice. She was deceived. And that, as one who knew better, she was going to be held accountable. My dear friend, you also know better. And you will be held accountable for what you know. I urge you. The Bible says that sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. You can't even put it on the scale. It's not on the same scale as the glories that, that await us beyond this life for eternity. Do not, for the sake of momentary illusion of security, give up a security of being in God's hands forever. With that we would conclude this afternoon service.